Welcome to the Community Coaches Chat with Andy and Mike, the podcast by coaches in community sports for coaches in community sports. Thank you for listening to our first foray into podcasting. Today we're going to talk a bit about ourselves and why we've started this podcast. Andy, over to you. Cool. Uh, so as Mike says, my name's Andy. Um, a bit about my background. So um, played a bit of rugby when I was younger. Um, and then various injuries um, stopped playing and uh, didn't know what to do for a while. Um, for a couple of years, worked various jobs and then decided to get into um, a bit of rugby coaching, not as full time, just as part time, a bit of a hobby. Um, and things kind of uh, things kind of went from from one, one thing to the next, really. Um, started working uh, for Worcester Warriors um, on their hits program. Um, just leading their coaching sessions, taking the kids out for various sports, football, rugby. Um, and then from there, got into a bit of county work um, and then a bit of work with the Academy at Warriors with their DPP, coaching their under 13s and 14s, which is pretty cool. Um, did that for a couple of years. And then um, an opening came up at the local grammar school. Um, so I ended up going over to Royal Grammar School in Worcester um, and was there for about three years. Um, and then started at Gloucester Academy, um, working with their DPP there, um, and have been doing that for about a year or so now, alongside um, my job at Parkhouse School in Newbury um, as head of rugby, working for uh, Mad Dog Rugby, um, which has been fun. Yeah, well, obviously that's where we met, started off. Yeah. So um bit of background to that, I'm the assistant coach uh, at Parkhouse alongside Andy. Um, interesting start to this year is that we were both new to the company and to the, the company was new to the school, we were both new to the school, so a bit, a bit of a learning curve for us, which yeah. is kind of why I wanted to start this podcast really, Yeah. start discussing a few challenges and, and interesting things that we're doing along the way and you know, spark some conversations with other people that are in similar situations to us. Definitely, I mean, the, the main ones, because I, I don't really have a... A background in sort of community community rugby coaching if Whereas that sounds that's my main background and that's what yeah. i live and breathe yeah <laughs> so it's uh it's it's, it's good for me because i that there's challenges that come about it and i and i look at it in a completely different light as i kind of see them more black and white and and don't and sometimes don't understand why there are certain challenges in the way um which is yeah why i wanted to do this podcast really to kind of speak to other coaches see if we can help them see if they can help us and also to highlight some of those coaches out there that are do, actually doing really cool things um, at community level, because I do think it is the hardest level of rugby to coach at. Um, you've got various abilities, different age groups, club politics. Limited resources. Limited resources, <laughs> limited resources uh, being the big one. Um, but but no, it's cool. I think um, I, I do think uh, community rugby has its challenges, but... It, I think I think there's a there's a lot of people doing some pretty cool stuff out there. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a bit of background from from my point. Was the the polar opposite end of the spectrum to, to Andy, who's got experience in high level academies playing. Um, never played to a, a particularly high level, but um, always loved sport. Always had a real passion for it. Uh, found my feet when I started playing rugby um, in secondary school. Uh, wasn't a footballer head didn't connect to the feet very well but it worked pretty well the way around hit the great spur early so there's one of those mutant kids that ran around enjoying the game um and someone said to me sort of towards the end of school do find a career something you really enjoy 
Um, really enjoyed rugby, but was never going to make it as a player, so decided to take on the, the coaching, take down the coaching route. Um, some of the people that, that have known me for a long time say that that sort of turning point was a season where I broke my collarbone in a pre-season game and spent a very frustrated um, first half of the season running up and down the touchline. So that was probably my first first entry into coaching in a, in a discreet way. Um, and then, yeah, went to university, did, a, did an undergrad degree in, um, in sports coaching and have been working in community sport and grassroots sport since then. I, alongside my, the things I do at Mad Dog, I, I work in the, um, I coach the DPP at London Irish, um, which has been really enjoyable, first season doing it there, having previously been at Wasps. Um, and I coach uh, my local rugby club, heading up the Colts, which is the under-18s team, uh, High Wycombe, uh, so, and hold various other roles there. So really, you know, live and breathe community sport. Always always had a real passion for, for being a member of the club, and it's just continued into my adult years. Um, and, and then to boot with that, I'm, I'm also currently the chair of the RFU's National Youth Council, which is all involved around getting people between the ages of uh, 14 and 24, uh, keeping them involved in rugby, be it playing or volunteering, coaching, refereeing, everything like that. Uh, so yeah, background really steeped in community sport and, and a real love for it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mark, yours is a funny one because I, I, you making the decision to go into coaching at quite a young age is, uh, well, as soon as you kind of finished, finished sort of, player and you're a bit injured and stuff i i find that interesting because i didn't have any any aspiration of going into coaching when i stopped playing rugby at all i didn't even know it was a job you could do i just envisaged you either play rugby professionally you have a career in it you finish playing rugby and then you go into coaching afterwards so i did a few like like i worked in plumbers merchants for like a pipeline company for a good couple of years and it was only till it was my wife who said to me um well, if you don't want to do that, why don't you do something you really like? And I was like, oh, I like rugby, but I can't play rugby. What about coaching rugby? And then it was only when I started going on looking into coaching that you can, I didn't realise you could even get paid, stupidly paid to do coaching, but yeah. it appears you can. I mean, I, I think I got into it because I say, you know, someone said to do what, do what you love doing, but it's that, that comment you made about people finish playing and then go into coaching. I wanted to be that sort of the breaker of that mould. I didn't, I wanted to be the person that hadn't necessarily hit the heights of playing, but could still show that it was something that anyone could do. Not yeah, yeah. Do, but you know, you didn't have to have that playing experience to be a good coach. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still in the process of trying to prove that is the case, but um, yeah, I, that, that was that was the kind of viewpoint I took on it. Um, obviously a bit, a bit different to yours. I, I was almost coaching alongside playing when I started coaching. It was obviously after, after playing, you took a, Couple of years out of the sport. A sabbatical. Yeah, a sabbatical. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, what's rugby? Don't touch yeah. rugby. Yeah, yeah. But that that I, I having those couple of years out of out of being involved in rugby at all, like no playing, no coaching, watching a bit at the weekend here and there, but working in sort of you could call it real world environments of like working like in a warehouse stuff like that. I I definitely think it. Uh, you learn certain people skills. Um, and how to build relationships with people quite quickly because you're dealing with people that have worked in those jobs for 40 years and yeah. it, it is their it is their life yeah. um, but Definitely do that. no it's pretty cool
So yeah, we, so obviously we talk, spoke a bit about ourselves. Um, the reason we want to do this podcast, Andy obviously mentions to, to shout a little bit about community coaches um, that we, we see doing some great stuff. Um, hopefully some people can pick up some ideas, tips um, and, and things from what we talk about that they can take into their own coaching. Um, and somewhat selfishly, we're going to use this as a development tool for ourselves to, to learn more from each other, learn, learn more from other coaches that we might invite onto onto the podcast and, and go from there really. Um, so yeah, hopefully this, this stretches as far and wide as it as it is intended to and picks up from picks up on community coaches and, and maybe people further afield and, and higher up and see what they can gain from the community sport. Definitely. Um, so what we spoke about is we want to kind of each each kind of podcast is cover off a few areas. So what we want to look at today is uh is values and behaviours. Like what does that look like? What does it mean? What's people's interpretations of values and behaviours? Because I know mine have changed over the years, um, but what we see as values and behaviours is completely different to what the kids that we've got on our programme see as values and behaviours. And what that looks like across the board, really. I mean, from a Mad Dog point of view, like we would say that we are a values-driven organisation or a values-driven company. Um, So our main values of inspire encourage improve is what what we focus the company's focused around in the schools that we're in um, and is what drives our program so anything that we do training wise um, work with the boys on a one-to-one level we 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 have our values like at heart all the time um, which i think is important um and i don't think especially for some of the boys that have come onto our program maybe that hasn't been the way for them before yeah um, I, th- I think i think the joy of rugby is that Values and behaviours so deeply ingrained into it. You know, obviously the RFU have their their core values yeah. of um, you know the treads values, which yeah you know, is so deeply ingrained in the sport that I think you almost can't rugby doesn't work without values. Yeah, you know, it, it's so highly under pressure of of you can't do everything on your own. You need to be around a team that if you weren't to have those values, things wouldn't work. It'd fall yeah. apart. Um, I think the great thing that we do in in, in our environment here. Is that we see those values and those behaviours outside of the sport as well? Yeah, I think you know we're working on it with the guys. I don't think we're quite there yet, and they that they realise that the things that they display on the pitch need to be displayed in their whole lives. You know, behaviour isn't something you pick up and put down; it's something you live and breathe. Yeah, um, I think getting them to take that into their school life, into their home life, into the you know general relationships they make, is I think is really key. I think when they realise that, when they start doing that. That's when we'll really see the impact we're having. No, definitely, and I, I, and that that that's that is the key point, really. I think, looking at it from our point of view, it is: are we are we able to make better people? Yeah. Because better people ultimately will make better rugby players. Yeah. Um. Someone said to me, you know, how or how would you gauge the success of the program or the school team that you've got at the moment? Like some people might gauge their success through wins or how many like how many wins they get in a season if they go unbeaten or how far they get in a cup competition or in a sevens competition like how do you measure your success and I mean I, I I've thought about it a lot and I don't really think I will know how successful this program has been for probably five years time six years time until until where where the boys that we've got you know the 25 boys we have where are they in five six seven years time what yeah. kind of person they are I mean if they are a if they're a better person um, and they're, they're, you know, they're a really good son or a boyfriend or a husband or whatever they go on to be, if they're, if they're, if they're the best they can be, they're a better person because of what they've had 
with us in those two years, I think then you could probably say the programme has been a success and that comes back to us being a values-driven behaviours programme. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think yeah, the, the key thing about those values and behaviours are that, yeah, they may change and alter over time, like we mentioned both of ours have, but they're still deeply ingrained in you. They're still something that is very much a part of you. So like you say, if they're still displaying values and behaviours that really mean a lot to them, whatever they may be, in, in five years' time, we've we've done our jobs we've done a part of our jobs in that um but yeah it's it's interesting and frustrating at the same time in that we can't see those effects you know pe- people who have those focuses of win loss at least they've got that immediate you know Short visual term. representation yeah, yeah. Um, of, of what that looks like and that can be the frustrating thing sometimes with, with what we do is that we don't know if it's working until something goes wrong yeah Sometimes when it goes right, you can see it as well. But yeah. my, I, we lost a game off the back of I think three or four really good wins against local teams around here. Yeah, we got absolutely destroyed by one of the other Mad Dog teams, and yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, the guys hated it. Yeah, but I came off the back of that thinking, this is the opportunity where we learn. This is the opportunity where we can genuinely see what effect we've had. Yeah. And whether they are genuine belief, like behaviours and values, or whether they were just you know external sort of fluffy looking things. Yeah. Um, that was my. I think that was one of the games I enjoyed most because we really had something we could work on, and the guys could see the value of it. Definitely. I mean, though, that's the. You quickly see how boys can, or how the guys can quickly return to default in their settings yeah. of you quickly start looking around the pitch and you start to look for people to blame or as they start to look for whose fault is it that someone's dropped a ball or knocked a ball on in and then it and then it comes back down to well what behaviors do they show are they yeah. i mean are they trying to pick that guy up off the floor and help him out and say don't worry about it it's fine move on to the next one yeah. or are they kind of head down um and ahhing about it and and not showing the sort of behaviours that they were showing a week before, two weeks before, three yeah. weeks before, when we're winning games on the bounce, yeah. um, and they're all happy with how it's going. And then as soon as it starts to go the opposite direction, boys are looking around thinking, well, that actually that's his fault, or no, yeah, that's yeah. your fault. Yeah, I think yeah, the, the, it's it's that key bit of the pressure, the, with the, where the pressure pressure increases, that's when the real behaviours the real values start showing themselves that people have yeah. whether they like it or not because they're under pressure they don't have the choice about what they show it just yeah. it happens it manifests yeah. I think the other interesting thing in those situations is to see with the guys that don't uphold the values you'd like to see how do the others around them have, the, have an effect on that because mm-hmm. we've got some guys that, that maybe didn't live up to the expectations they had of themselves in that situation we had some that did and the thing I struggle with with trying to impart these values and behaviours in people is that who drives it? Does it have to be from themselves? Is it from their peers? Is it from us as coaches? You know, I, I think we stuck to our values and behaviours in that situation because it wasn't, you know, I'd like to think we're quite good at doing that and we, we hold good values and behaviours under pressure. But some of the guys that were around them, you know, uh, is them showing good values and behaviours having a knock-on effect on other people? Or is it not? Do we need to have that in a different way, or do they just need to work it out themselves? Well, that's that. That's that. That's the hard one. 
because I, I feel that sometimes it always has to come down to us as coaches to keep driving the values and behaviours. But yeah. it gets to a point where sometimes you get sick of your own voice. Yeah, if, if it's you, that, yeah exactly. And then that message kind of, that message gets diluted. So they're no longer, they're no longer, what you say is no longer taken, you know, is, is seriously. Because if you're always saying the same things to yeah. them, it can get a bit, are they really listening or, mm. or have they heard it before? Which is why... I don't know, I think it's really crucial. You've got to get that balance where you've got certain players or at least a core group of players in the squad, six or seven of them, that are constantly on to the boys about it all the time. Are, yeah. You know, how are they conducting themselves around school? Are they turning up to lessons on time? Mm. Are they participating in those lessons? What are they like when they're in training? It, it, it covers everything and, and, and it, I find it very hard that it was very much us trying to drive it for the start of those first few weeks. Yeah, I think I think where we come into that also with you know empowering the other guys to uphold those values and and help push that amongst the team is teaching our leaders in our group how they need to react to situations because otherwise they're just an extension of us and they're just harping on the same thing over and over again and they stop getting listened to, which is a massive drawback because if they've genuinely got something to say and, and impart on someone. The, the other their peers are going to stop listening what is that that's exactly what we said to each other where we were at a point where we have a leadership group of of six or seven boys that 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 do lead from the front but then they are also saying the same things that we're saying but have we actually what have we done to help them we've yeah. just expected almost that they'll be able to do it but have we actually given them the tools or make how, how what what could we have done better i suppose looking back on it to help give those boys more information. Maybe if it was a some form of like CPD for them to do yeah. to help them with leadership. Yeah. Um, Cause I think it comes down to that, um, that sort of why behind what we do. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about it. Um, I think where it really came to the forefront is when we were talking to Sam Jarman and um, Grayson Hart about, yeah. you know, if you, if you understand the why of behind what you do, you do it with sincerity and you do it with real authenticity. If you just do things based on what you see, you don't know the why behind it, it can have a negative effect. So we know the why behind our actions in driving those behaviours and values. But if our leadership teams just see what we do, don't understand the why behind it and just try and replicate it, yeah. that can have a real negative effect because you know they might not do it in the correct, quite the correct way. They might approach it in a different manner that isn't, you know, isn't beneficial to that situation. So yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, what what support can we give them to be able to, for them to have an effect, a genuine effect? And also as well, I think it's supposedly picking the, picking the right people from the start. Yeah. Like are those people that we have, that we have in our group or that we, we talk about, are, are they really, do they really understand the why of what they do? Do they actually, are, is that them? Because if that is them anyway, with those behaviours, with those standards and values, if that is them and they do it anyway, they'll just almost, it's just coming out of them all the time, yeah, naturally. naturally. Like, as you say, it's authentic. So people buy into that and believe it. Um, yeah, like like when we, we we had that chat with Sam and it was about if you are authentic with what you do, then that almost rubs off from, yeah. from a values and behaviours point of view or from how you coach or conduct yourself. Like if that is you, yeah. like people will buy into it straight away. Yeah, so it almost doesn't matter what you do, it's why you do it and, yeah. and, and how you do it. Um, which I'm still slightly internally struggling with with the concept of that because 
if I do something from a real position of, of care and, and thought, you know, I'd like to think the person receiving it is receiving it in the way I intend, but maybe the fact that I've conveyed it, what I've said, may sometimes overwrap the why I've said it, yeah. the how I've said it. And that's my biggest struggle as well. I know with me as a person, I am very black and white with how things are. Yeah. It, for me, it's either this way or it's that way, and I don't really have much grey yeah. grey matter in between. So, and I have to really challenge myself on how how I come across to the players, whether it's we're talking about selection or whether a player needs to be pulled up on something. I have to think about the way I come across because I know sometimes that I can be blunt. Mm -hmm. I know that my facial expressions can tell a million pictures and I don't have to say anything, but I have to really check myself and challenge myself on actually how how do I talk to these boys? Like how, how am I coming across to them? Mm. Um, and that's my own internal battle, which goes on all the time. Like, and even when I've spoke to players before and I've said to you afterwards, how, how, did, that, how did that go? How, how do you think I came across? Because I, I think I have to, that's an area of development for me, um, especially dealing with kids that aren't all going on to play yeah. high level top rugby. Yeah. Um, you have to really more think about, always thinking about the person. Yeah, definitely. I think we, we've got, that is one of our challenges is, is the disparity between the top end and the bottom end yeah. that we've got and the conversations we can have with one of our players will be taken really well but with another player can be taken completely differently yeah um, which is you know again is part of our job as coaches to adapt be adaptable to to those different people yeah um, and you know, we'll, we'll deliver things in the in our own authentic way but there'll be little differences and nuances to each different person we interact with yeah based on the fact that people will hear things and interpret things in different ways so on going back to going back to values and behaviors yeah. and linking that to community rugby yeah. let's look so community teams you've got the rfu's principles which which i do think are good yeah so um, you've got trade so teamwork respect enjoyment uh discipline and safety that's 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 good mate that is there because i was going to say to you i don't know what the d is <laughs> actually um but on that do you think that community clubs that you've seen or you're involved with, do you think that they... Sportsmanship, not safety. I always do that. I knew you were going to do that. Sportsmanship. It's fine. I pulled myself up on that. Yeah. So I can... I'm fine. But in all fairness, you do think safety... Well, you do really think safety should be in there as well. But do you think community clubs all embody that all So the this time? is an interesting thing. So, so community rugby recently, they've... Um, obviously, you'd, you'd have seen the adverts about Quilted Kids First... Um, and the, pro, the push they've done with that um, in which the RFU and, and Quilts were supporting community clubs to push those values um, I say push that's, that's rather forceful to empower those you know, embody those values um, the, the interesting way they've done it um, in a community club level is they've given clubs laces green laces and if a player displays the treads values they get presented with those laces um, which is you know, a visual representation of the kids, they get something new, something different, um, something that other people may not have, um, which I think is great, as, as, you know, as long as they genuinely realise why they've got those laces, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, think it's, it, I think it's brilliant. Like I've said, rugby's so steeped in, in these values anyway, it's almost hard to not display them. Um, and then the other way they've done it is through the, through, um, I don't know what the correct terminology for it is now, but tournaments. Um, teams are scored on their ability to display the values 
So you may get extra points for good teamwork or good discipline or good sportsmanship, um, which I think, again, is a great way of getting people to realise the importance of them in sport. Um, you know, the, there's debates from everyone in, in community sport, in community rugby, about, you know, the whole winning tournaments thing, the whole scoring tries thing. You know, I think both come hand in hand. I think you know, it's definitely right to to support the the celebration of displaying those core values, but at the same time, maybe not to take away from what rugby is. Yeah, and that and that that's I think that's you've hit the nail on the head there with that one for me because when it comes to the whole those core values, the Treads core values or values that a club might come up with themselves, if the, all the teams embody that throughout the whole of the age groups and say they might win a game, how do they put across to people that they've won the game or how the game went? Because if you embody those values, the way you should put that across would be slightly different to we've won 67-0 yeah. or something, or, or something like that where, where you'd hope it would never get to that scoreline, but... It's the interesting thing, isn't it? It's when someone asks you, how did the game go? And your first response is to give them a score. Yeah. And you know, I, I, did it, I did it to someone who is, you know, very much, you know, rugby development driven. And I gave him a score. He said, well, why did you tell me that? That's not the answer to the question I asked you, is it? Like, you know, that's not the right answer. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just so, in, you know, used to telling people the score. But yeah. since people ask me how it went. Um, at which point I started talking about you know the, the development of the players and engagement of the players and, and how they interacted, which is which is actually what I care about. You know, I, I I care about how my players get on and how they develop. I you know I don't necessarily care how many tries they score. If the process to getting to score those tries is that they've you know been creative, they've explored their opportunities and, and they've done it in the right way, then I'm happy. Yeah, oh, I think that's spot on. I think the that whole the whole winning sort of losing mentality i don't know if that's the right word for it but as you say that i i do not care how many games at school we win like the, the players would hate it and and i and i probably it might niggle away at me a little bit but if we lost every game in in a season for me really that's not the end of the world because i'm as you say like you more concerned about well what were the what did the players do in that game what did yeah. they display were they creating memories together were they being creative were they trying were they exploring the game because to me i think that is probably more important than mm. actually what the result is at the end of it because as you say that kind of result is a really short-term measurable goal of oh yeah we won the game but then actually let's look like we film all our games at school and watch them back which is great because we can we can some of those boys have never watched themselves play rugby before but it's yeah. great to see when they watch the games back and they display something that's completely different or they might have tried something and one of the boys goes oh that was really cool or i really enjoyed that or what was your thought process behind that decision yeah, yeah. um rather than actually, I don't think we've ever watched a game back and then talked about what the result was at the end of it. No, I, I think I think in the in the first instance of us showing the, the, the video clips and the uh, and the areas of the game to the guys, they did look to, to see you know, who scored here, who yeah. made a big hit here. You know, but I think we've got to a situation now where on the pitch and off the pitch, the guys are celebrating each other's um, achievements. Yeah. And not just achievements that people can see, you know, the work rate that people show and, and 
the support they give each other, you know, both you know, actually physically and, and verbally. Um, you know, I think they're they're starting to pick out the things that genuinely matter to them. Yeah. Performing well and and improving, as opposed to just oh, do you see who made that big hit? Where's the bit here where I, you know, yeah. I dummy the guy. So I think I think you know, things like that start to show us what kind of effects we're having. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, which is great. It's just. I think sometimes the next step for us is to give them the responsibility of it. You know, a lot of the time we'll frame the question or we'll frame the situation. Let's get them to present to everyone on clips from the game based on behaviours, values and, and those underpinning factors. Yeah, I, I, I agree like that. Um, from a, if you go looking back to, say, club rugby mm -hmm. what would you say how how best would teams go about because obviously each team in each age group has a very like different styles of coaching yeah. you've got parents that are volunteering uh, you might have coaches that have given up their, their spare time that work full-time jobs coach at the mm -hmm. weekend or the evening but then if they're if say they're coaching or they're sort of their values and behaviours aren't quite what, say, treads are or quite what, say, the club embodies. Mm -hmm. Or For me, I find that very difficult to understand how yeah. you sort of, you can see each... And, and not naming clubs, because there's probably, there's probably teams like this all over the country yeah. where you've got under-13s or under-15s or under-16s where, say, they probably aren't always showing the right values and behaviours. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because I think with players, those values are embodied from those role models, which are coaches. Uh, and, you know, the, it comes, I think the values of behaviors are interesting and it comes down to, so Mark Bennett's rule of three. You know, the first person that should pick up on them is yourself. After that, it's your peers and then it's a coach. Well, where is that kind of hierarchy for a coach? Yeah. If they yeah. don't pick up with themselves, do you, do they have a good enough relationship that, or do they even have co-coaches that can pick up on it and highlight it to them? Because thirteen-year-old players aren't going to say to the coach, well, this is "That's the thing. not a good behaviour." Who is who is the coach that is going to highlight the the fact that a coach hasn't displayed this to the coach? Yeah, like you say, the kids, unless the kids are very much empowered and, and supported to speak their mind and be comfortable in their environment, then they will. But if the coach isn't embodying those values initially and is telling them to, to do something they're not doing, there's no way they're going to have a good environment for the, coach, for the players to say that's the coach. So I, it's, a, it's a good question. I think, you know, it depends how the club's set up. I think some clubs have got a good um, sort of committee and set of volunteers that support the people that deliver things on the pitch. Um, you know, there are, there are either... You know, youth chairs of clubs or um, coach coordinators that would go around and I think would be the people that would look to hold people accountable for not hitting those values. Um, the, the only problem with that is that it is community sport. They are volunteers. You know, you run the risk as, a, as someone calling out a volunteer that they're going to stop doing what they're doing and then that deprives the kids of an opportunity to play because they might not be the people there to take on that role. Um, the, the, I suppose the, the saying that I've heard recently um, which I really like but you know I don't know what knock on effects it does have if you do embody it is sometimes it's better to have 
a hole than an asshole. Yeah, 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 I like that. Yeah, yeah. Instead of just pushing on and with that person that really isn't embodying those values, do you just remove them and yeah, by mutual consent, you know, not in a in a nasty way, but do you do you sort of have a conversation where that they're not embodying those, so they need to be removed, in which case at least they're not the kids aren't having that bad role model. Yeah. Um, you know, like we say, we're talking extremes to a yeah. certain degree here, but we like to think that that isn't happening anywhere. Yeah, there will be instances where that will be happening in a small small degree. Well, it's like we there was that there was something on Twitter the other day that came up, and it was a couple of weeks ago now. Of the I can't remember what team it was. Um, you know, I, I won't guess just in case I do. <laughs> I, I say it's someone else. Like it, it's old Murphy's Village down the road or something <laughs> under thirteens. But uh, there was a team, and the final score at like under thirteen rugby was like a hundred something to nil or something like that. Right. Some ridiculous score, yeah. and the way it was put online in on their that via their team's twitter page like for me i was I, I felt a bit number one how has the score got to that yeah for a start clearly there hasn't been values and behaviors embodied by those coaches yeah because they would never have let the game got to that far no. um and for me I, you'd hope something is done about it it is because I heard that the RFU are actually going in there to do something with those coaches, yeah, which yeah. is great. So yeah. hopefully those coaches can and and that club can uh, can change yeah. so that that never happens again. And the kids, all the kids, have a positive experience, mm. um, both for the opposition and the team playing. Um, but it's should there always be that element of we have to try and change them. Or yeah. because that they are as you said they are volunteers, and if you do how you give feedback to them is crucial yeah. because you might give feedback to them and the way they take it, they might take it as well. I'm not going to do this anymore because yeah. I'm not kind of valued. Yeah. But if you were to give that feedback in a way that it was constructive to a to a degree where they thought, oh, actually, yeah, that is that does need to be different. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting. I put my business head on. You know, in, in a business. There's that terminology is battered around. You know, if you can't change the people, change the people. I don't think that necessarily works always in community sport because people are volunteers and there's limited resources. But I think you know, there was a um, there was a Simon Sinek TED talk or something that I saw recently that talked about how you you know it was a company that instead of letting people go and they didn't hit targets, it was supporting them and developing them and, and teaching them how to do the job better so that they were performing yeah i think at a, a community level a grassroots level it's highlighting to the coaches what that success and performance looks like because they may be looking at it as scoreline whereas if you look at it from an engagement and enjoyment level yeah they may not be successful yeah at which point if you can change the goalposts and you change what you're what good looks like, then they may realise they're not being successful and they might be more receptive to that development and that learning. Um, I, yeah, I, th I think sometimes the problem is that people view success based purely on score lines, which isn't necessarily a long-term factor because five yeah. years down the line, yeah. there may not be enough players to be able to put a score line of yeah. over 100 points on another team because no one's enjoying themselves and no one's turning up. And that and that's what I think plays into maybe the the, the drop off that is in sport across, 
the same probably with football, the same with hockey, mm. like like with rugby. Um, I, I, as you say, if you change the goalposts and I, I don't know the the fundamentals of just the baseline success measurement are the kids enjoying themselves, are the players yeah. enjoying themselves in training and in the games, and are they? Can you see they're expressing themselves? Because I think if they are enjoying it and they are happy with what they're doing, they're probably going to express themselves in the game. And yeah. if you have that kind of baseline, like fundamental viewpoint of, so my success is based on how happy these kids are. Mm-hmm. Are they engaged? Are they enjoying themselves? And then if if they win because of that, fantastic. But if they lose, it doesn't really matter because they've had a great journey into that week, into that game. And then if they, they, they will come back, if they're enjoying themselves, they will come back week after week after week yeah. like that in my opinion that's 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 what i think anyway yeah. and, um, and that continued engagement with the sport runs hand in hand with skill development tactical development yeah, yeah you've got to have the numbers there and the, and the engagement from the players yeah. to be able to work on that stuff anyway if they're not enjoying themselves they're not turning up to training if they're not engaged while they're there you can't even work on the rugby things yeah. so to speak you know you just need to have you need to have an underpinning factor. Yeah. Cool. So, if we look to go on to implementing those behaviours, how 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 we've done it, how have we implemented yeah. those values and behaviours uh, in our program at this school? I mean, one of the things that we looked at doing was we sat the boys down at the start of the season in pre-season, mm-hmm. and we got them to come up with their own values and behaviours. Yeah. So that was more language that they sort of understood yeah. um, because we have, as coaches, have our own values and behaviours or standards. But actually, if we were to say, right, boys, these are your standards, these are your behaviours and your values, does it mean anything to them? Yeah. And, and even within those terminologies, what does it mean to each individual person? Because us, us sort of talking about commitment, from my point of view, I think the same for you, is if I say I'm committed, I'm coming to everything. Whereas for the guys, commitment may be turning up to everything they can turn up to yeah. based on other things they have in their lives or yeah. in their school life. So that, that, that's, again, just you know, where one word can have a disparity between, between a couple of people. Um, so, yeah, like you say, it was, it was important for the guys to set down what they were and us to understand what, they, what those words meant to them. Um, I, think, I think the way we, we could potentially... You know, Something we didn't do and we, we could do better with that is making it easier to remember. I think if we were to sit them down again now and ask them what the behaviours they set out at the start of the season were, I don't think they'd... I think they'd give us the same sort of answers. Yeah. But I don't think they'd give, give us the same exact answers enough to hold themselves accountable to them. Yeah. And I think, yeah, they know how they're supposed to act. But when you then try and hold someone accountable to a vague idea comes a lot harder well it's like it's like the word probably like the the one that is like respect yeah so like how do you how do you hold someone accountable for respect because respect in what context respect are you respecting them as the them as a player are you respecting them in training at school outside of school what what in what context are we talking about respect that's where i think implementing values needs to be very specific yeah so you could say you can use the same word as respect but you can use it in the context with the players as you respect each other how you're when you're on the pitch yeah and when you're off the pitch but in what context so 
if you are in lessons, if you're around school, you know, you say hi to each other, yeah. you stop and have a chat about how was your weekend. When you get to training, the same applies to training. When you're in a game, if something goes wrong, you've got that relationship with with that person there. Where if they if they miss a tackle or they drop a ball, you just walk past, tap them on the shoulder, mate. Don't worry about it. It's a drop ball. It's fine. I'd probably I'd probably say that is respect. I'd say you there might be kids that have a conversation with someone at school when they're in class and then maybe on the rugby pitch they can be a completely different person and maybe yeah. come down quite hard on them and I would say that's probably not showing them respect. Yeah. I think the interesting one for me is is how do you hold them accountable to them? Oh yeah, we've got these outlined now. You know, the, the players have done them themselves. How do we ensure that they embody them? So with the, with the stuff I do at the youth council, we, we decided we needed some team values to abide by. Um, and we came up with four, put them into a bit of a mnemonic so we can remember them. Um, and yeah, they were respect, accountability, positivity, and progress. And we talked about, you know, there were people that hadn't adhered to those previously before we'd put them together. And, you know, we sort of see how are we going to hold each other accountable to these? People started talking about, you know, sanctions, what's the consequence? You know, it, it wasn't a nice environment when we started talking about that. Yeah, yeah. So we still, instead, we took it, it's a sort of difference between the carrot and the stick. We got rid of the stick because it, it doesn't create a nice environment. It doesn't create positive values and behaviours. And we decided to go down the carrot process and if someone was to embody those values, we would celebrate it, we'd put it in our in our WhatsApp group, we'd shout someone out for having embodied those. Yeah. With the hope that if someone didn't follow those values, instead of someone calling them out, it was that sort of, you know, that, that rule of three, they were identifying themselves and apologising for not meeting it. It just, you know, it just created a much more positive attitude and direction with it. People, people wanted to shout each other out. It was nice. It was, you, you, weren't, you weren't saying something nice about someone, you were genuinely giving them a special shout out. It almost justified it. Um, and off the back of that, people felt more comfortable to admit to having not, you know, shown those values and those behaviours. And that that there that rolls into how you'd go about giving feedback to someone as well. Yeah. Because if you say look, still looking at accountability, if you know someone that you work with or you one of the players you know hasn't done something, you could all, the way you go about it to them is you can say to them, "Oh, that was really good what you just did," or "Oh, jumper in the game when you did that," or yeah. so you you you're highlighting something they've done. And then at the same time, you're you're then able to because they, they feel comfortable and they're then they're not on the back foot and defensive straight away. Yeah. You could then say to them, but on this occasion, yeah, you did this, or can you see how the two contrast with each other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giving them an example to compare it to yeah. is quite good. It's that, it's that feedback sandwich, isn't it? You yeah. start something good to lead in, and then you, you highlight the problem. Um, yeah, no, I. I I think it's good to, especially in that situation, having the same value where they have displayed it, you can identify they have displayed it and then highlighting when they haven't displayed yeah. the same value, being like, well, where's the disparity? You tell me, give me a reason why. Because you, you know, I'm genuinely interested when people don't show values when they have previously. Yeah, yeah they, may not, they may not have just thought of that, they may not think about it in the same way. They might see them as different things, in which case it's our job to identify that they are they have similarities. I do think you're spot on there with the fact that we don't 
I don't think we give out praise enough. As, yeah, as in for the right reasons. Yeah, as in coaching for a whole, I think that we don't give out praise, as you say, for the right reasons enough. Are we celebrating the fact when people are showing good, like the, that quilt of laces? Yeah, yeah. What you yeah. said. That's I've never I I don't haven't haven't heard that before. Right. So I think that's great. Yeah. I think if you can if you can really even if it's you you do a little presentation of yeah you've got these green laces or whatever color laces they are and you give them out to the yeah. kid and you can say he has got these laces because his he has been to five sessions in a row and he's turned up five minutes early for those sessions. Apply themselves. Like, session. Apply themselves. Yeah. So people can think oh actually oh, I want to get those laces. Oh, well, I need to. I need to do what Jacob's done. Yeah. Like I need. I need to be turning up to these lessons or turning up to these sessions, and then I can get the laces. Yeah. So they are getting that bit of praise. That there, there's that feel good factor. Yeah. But at the same time, underlying that is a, a commitment, which yeah. is which is another behaviour or another um, value. Yeah, I um, think it's probably worth us as well looking outside of that as well. And you know, if these are genuine behaviours and values, they're things that people display all the time. So it may be a case of you've turned up to training and applied yourself consistently and you've turned up to lessons early and applied yourselves consistent, consistently. Because we've got, you know, that's, that's where I think we really hit the nail on the head with, with behaviour, is that they're displaying it across the board, not yeah. just in training sessions. And getting them to, things get them to realise that it, it is just in their lives. In it's a life skill. Life. Yeah, completely. It's a, like, and... If they turn up for lessons on time, they apply themselves just as though because the ninety nine percent of our boys turn up to our sessions and apply themselves. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that that is a life skill that when they leave school and if they go to university where they've got more freedom. Yeah. Like I didn't go to university, but I I know through my wife going to university, you have the freedom to turn up or not turn up to lectures and seminars. Yeah. Where you need to be able to think right. Well. There's no one telling me to do this now. No, no. It's off my own back, so I need to go and do it. It's exactly the same with work. Once they, if they go into full time work afterwards, you know, there will be, you are at work at eight o'clock in the morning, half eight in the morning. Like there are set times that you have to yeah. be there. And all we're trying to do now, as you say, is, is, is teach them those life skills that they're going to need yeah. afterwards. Yeah, because yeah, it, it's then them displaying things to other people that then displays you know, people make assumptions and and opinions on people and that then dictates where you go with things you know people always say you know don't care i don't care what other people think of me if you don't care what other people think of you and you are seen in a bad light you're going to hamper your ability to progress in life yeah you, you there is no two ways about it there isn't a career path or that there isn't a way of improving in life it doesn't involve you you know, not interacting with other people. You always interact with people. And to have those behaviours that underpin good behaviours and, and good actions, I think is really important. But like you say, when the guys take things outside of school, when there isn't this structured environment, there isn't the, the slight flexibility teachers will have, a, oh, you're five minutes late, make sure it doesn't happen again, or you know, what's the genuine reason? You tell them five minutes late to work, and you do that consistently, you might find you don't have a job. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and I think some of our boys are getting that now because a lot of our boys have part-time jobs. Yeah. So a lot of them work elsewhere and they might say to us, uh, can we, is there any chance we could leave the session 15 minutes early because I actually need to get to work. Like my shift starts at five, but I actually need to get there just before, Yeah. which is great for us because I'm happy for them to do that yeah. because they've come to us, they've had the conversation, they've realised that actually they need to get somewhere 
not at five, yeah. but just before, because and I they're kind of holding themselves accountable for the fact that they don't want to be late. Yeah, I think um, so the thing we've got to be careful with that though is that that's two commitments there that somewhat clash. Yeah, and ensuring that the guys understand which which are the commitments in their lives that can be flexible and the ones that can't. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be great to be in a situation where they manage their lives around not having those clashes with those commitments. You know, you may have a commitment to a friend or family member and you make sure that that doesn't clash with your commitments to your career and your work. Yeah. I think if we, we've got to make sure that they understand the reasons why we're saying that they can go. Because if, if they think they can skimp on one commitment so they can push for another, that may not always translate outside of the school environment. Yeah, I get that. Because, as you say, if they go into a full-time job and they might need to leave that full-time job to go early to go and play rugby yes, in the yeah. evening, how do they go about having those conversations with them? With like, and that might go back to one of our like uh, looking at a behaviour or value of being honest. Yeah. Whereas if you're honest with your boss from the outlook of, oh, well, by the way, I play rugby, I've got to train twice yeah. a week in the evenings, do you mind if I was to come in half an hour early yeah. and leave half an hour early rather than take rather than going into the role and then you say, oh, well, actually, I can't work till half past six because yeah, I need to be yeah. somewhere by seven. It's offsetting those expectations. So we get it with our guys that say, look, I can't make the session today, but can I come in and do an extra gym session tomorrow outside of our normal times? Yeah. Of course you can. And that's you know, that shows that they genuinely have an investment in that in that um that responsibility yeah all right cool well i think we should uh we should probably wrap it up there cool um i would oh if anyone wants to contact us they can do they can follow us both on twitter yeah so my twitter handle is at uh mike underscore kirby that's m-i-k-e underscore k-i-r-b-y and mine is at andy brownhill with one L because I couldn't fit my whole name in a Twitter handle. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's someone with two L's yeah. that keeps getting tagged in things yeah. that is not you. And there yeah, there is definitely someone with two L's that has that has messaged me to say, why am I getting tagged in this, that and the <laughs> other? Um, but yeah, as I say, any questions you can feel free to uh, ask us on Twitter or um, as I say, yeah, if anyone wants to chat to us about anything that we've covered, then as I say, please do uh, get in contact and we will be back um, hopefully on a bi-weekly basis. Yeah, if you'd um, like to come on the podcast, let us know if you've got any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about or discuss, and um, send them over to us and we're more than happy to have a chat about them. Cool. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.